But, but as I was, was uh, confronting those making messes in our church, that will, that, who was it? Claudia, okay. This is really important to, to identify people <laughs> and point them out because my message today is who deserves suffering? Yeah. I'm naming names. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm glad we can laugh about this because um, the, the title, Who Deserves Suffering, um, is really, um, uh, it, it's to address the misunderstanding that um, some people deserve suffering more than others. And that's um, something that Jesus spoke about in the passage we have today. We're focusing on Luke 13, uh, verses 1 through 9. And let, let me read it, uh, and, then, and then we'll talk about it. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all of the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig, growing, fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Today I want to speak to you about who deserves suffering, and I want to teach from uh, this message of Jesus and what he's um, talking about. I've, I've talked on suffering before, and recently I just completed a course centered on suffering in my pursuit of a master's in um, uh, divinity. Um, it's a tough topic because virtually everyone going through suffering wants an explanation. One of the things they talked to us about in the, in the course was um, when people are in the midst of suffering, when it's acute, one of the first things they say is, why? And what they teach us is, try to get off that question pretty quickly because there's a couple of reasons for that. Why? Oftentimes there's not really a good answer. And the other is, the answer won't help the suffering anyway. The suffering's still going to be the suffering. And so they say, when you're dealing with a person in suffering, um, try to divert away from talking about the why question, uh, because it just doesn't bring the healing that people think it might, even if they have some explanation. Um, but the reality is, when people don't have a good answer to that why question, it has been 
the seed that has caused a lot of people to question God uh, because they, they have a misunderstanding of that cause and effect in our, in our world. And so um, when they are in uh, a situation of suffering, it's easy to question where's God. And I understand that. Uh, uh, it's... it's um, as we examine the world and as we're bringing our mission to El Salvador. Uh, I can tell you, when I was down there, I saw some suffering. Uh, I saw some people that were in horrible situations uh, that Pastor Louise took me to that we prayed with. Uh, and uh, believe me, I felt the pain of that suffering. Particularly, I remember the one lady bedridden in the end of this little uh, path that we went back to, and I knew there was absolutely no way that woman could get out of there and go anywhere, uh, and uh, it was tough for anybody to get back to her, and, and, and I, I wanted to say, God, why? And, and, and we could say the same way that Jesus was saying here, do I think that there's something about the people in El Salvador that that, that person um, has somehow been more of a sinner? Uh, than me, because I get to live in comfort, maybe I must be doing something not right in God's eyes. And that person, maybe not. But we all know that's just foolish. I mean, as I say it, we realize it's foolish, and yet we do it all the time. Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's, we, we, we wrap God into things that happen in a fallen world, and then we blame God for it. Or, we blame the people and say, boy, they must have been really doing bad to, to bring that on themselves. I mean, that, and, and, and what are we doing to God when we tell people that? Uh, and it's, it's, but religion does that a lot. I mean, religion almost preaches it to us that if you don't behave right, bad things will happen to you. And if you behave right, you'll be blessed. Uh, that, that cause and effect that we want to put in from our worldly knowledge just corrupts the relationship with God. Uh, and that's what Jesus is saying here. Are, are you guys really trying to equate that maybe these people deserved a little bit more what happened to them because they were worse sinners? And he says, but I tell you, no. Do you think those people who fell when, the, when these towers and this city that I don't pronounce well, uh, when those tower fell over and killed all these people, do you think those people who died in that crash were worse sinners? But Jesus clearly says, no, I tell you no. He, he's, he's making it clear we're not seeing things right. But he does call us to repent. Repent, as Ben has taught us, is turning around and seeing things in a different way. And we're supposed to turn around and see God in a different light. And one thing that I really think it's really important is the song, and I've said this before when, when we've sung that song, I am a friend of God. I mean, that's God's relationship with us. We are a friend of God. This world can bring suffering. And sometimes the only way through it is to remember, yeah, this world's bringing suffering, but I am a friend of God. 
And I'm working with a person struggling with uh, mental illness. And this world, <laughs> this world could cause all of us uh, uh, to suffer mental illness. And um, I'm working on the process of reinforcing the negativity he hears from the world that cause him to think badly of himself. I'm trying to teach him to re replace it with phrases like, I am a friend of God, uh, and to remember that, um, that I know who I am. I know who I am. I am a friend of God. And when we replace it with that, and we quit getting into these kind of things that Jesus was trying to correct, where we try to judge who's more entitled or who's, who's less entitled and who deserves suffering and who doesn't. I mean, it, it's such an anti-God message um, that we just have to, what Jesus says, I tell you, no. Don't go there. Uh, it, it, it's not tied that way. The reality is there is a why. I can't turn pages and hold the microphone. There is a why. It just isn't a why tied to specific moments. It's a, t it's a why tied to the entire plan. It's a, it's a, it's a why titled to the, or tied to the entire uh, rebellion of the world uh, in response to God's creation and God's call to bring it back. Uh, so bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to people who aren't maybe being so good. Uh, there are answers to why in a moment. Uh, uh, it's not to say there isn't sometimes a direct cause and effect. Uh, if I'm walking, my law partner was joining me during the trial this week, and and he's becoming old and feeble. <laughs> and uh, he's, he's only two years older than me, but uh, we were walking back from lunch to the courthouse. And I look up, and the light is red for us. And so I'm getting ready to stop, and I realize he's walking straight forward. And I'm yelling, and a car's coming, and, and, and the car fortunately stops. And I look at the car, and I go, <laughs> I give him a... And, and fortunately, the car stopped. But if that car had been a little closer and he had walked and the car had hit him, was it because he's more of a sinner or anything? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. That could be. Uh, okay. And people are out there looking for us. <laughs> but but no, the, the reality was, if he had gotten hit, it would have been because he wasn't paying attention. Uh, it wasn't, had, it didn't have anything to do with his sin status or his relationship with God. Uh, it would still be suffering, though. And it would be suffering. And, 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 and I think in some ways, we could still cry out and say, God, why didn't you wake him up in that moment? Why didn't you stop him? Why didn't you have the other driver? And, and, and God's going, you know, I created this world in a much better way, and, and, and you guys are playing in a different rule book. <laughs> uh, but we're going to get there. And God's message is, we're going to get there where we don't have this suffering. Uh, but I need you all to repent and see it in a different way. The repenting doesn't mean 
that I'm going to avoid suffering. And that's the point of the first part of this is that do you think those people were any worse? Do you think that they didn't repent? So he's not addressing the lack of their repentance to say, then you too will. I'm trying to get his actual word there. I turned the page. So His actual words, because I don't want to put words in Jesus' mouth on this point. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. So he's not saying that in response to your sinful act, you're going you're gonna to die, except in the eternal posture. He's saying you've got to repent and see things differently. One of that is see the big picture. You know, when we focus only on the, the things surrounding us, we detract ourselves from the big picture with God, and we get sidetracked on these things about, boy, how could God let me lose my job? How could God let my house burn down? You know, and, and we get sidetracked by those things, and, and, and some really perhaps well-minded people may want to analyze, well, you know, you really weren't living quite the way you should. And, and, and Jesus would respond to that. I tell you, no, that's not the message. You know, when someone's suffering, you don't tell them, well, you brought it on yourself. Uh, we're to look in a different way. Uh, and that's... You know, the worldview does that. The worldview makes it simplistic. They look at cause and effect, and uh, if you did something wrong, it must have brought it on yourself. Uh, and I want you to know, this message initially, um, hopefully, would, it would be tough to hear, particularly this particular passage, would have been tough to hear right after 911, uh, uh, the initial part of it, because... Uh, I mean, people were looking for all kinds of reasons what, what, what brings about national tragedies like that. Uh, and, and they want to know why. Uh, and when you hear the towers falling and, and uh, people dying, uh, you know, do we really think those who got out of the trade tower and avoided the collapse were any less sinners than those who got trapped in the towers and didn't get out? I mean, it, I mean I, I'm thankful I'm seeing shaking of the heads. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's foolish thought. Um, but what do, we, what do we make then as we talk about this and we then hear about this, he follows it up with this um, parable about this fig tree. Uh, how do these tie together? Why, you know, why does Jesus talk about the foolishness of trying to tie suffering to whether you're being good or you're being bad, uh, why does he then go into this parable about a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard uh, and he went to look for fruit on it but did not find any? Uh, what, 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 are we, what are we to get out of this combined message? Uh, and I think there's a couple of really good clues here. Uh, one is... We see the reference to the man, uh, and he says, 
He said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree. It's really important to realize that Jesus had been in his formal ministry for about three years during this time period. And he says, and I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. And you can imagine Jesus has been walking around teaching and preaching and people aren't getting it. Uh, And it would be easy enough to say, the heck with it, let's rip it all up and forget these people. They're not responding. But we get instead the statement, Sir, the person tending says, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. That one more year is the current generation we're in. It's the time period right now where the ministry of Jesus didn't end with his death. It just passed on to the church, to the believers. This is about the ongoing work of Jesus in the world. The ongoing work of tilling up the soil, of fertilizing it, of of, of helping the faith to grow. And that's on us. We are the tenders. And I don't mean just us. I mean, really, it's the entire world is supposed to do this. Every person who, who repents, who turns and tries to understand the real meaning of what Jesus was talking about, We are all responsible for tending the soil, for nurturing it, for fertilizing it. And how do we do that? We do it by showing the love of Christ. It doesn't have to be with words of Scripture. In fact, most of the time, it's better if it's not with words of Scripture. It's better if it's just examples of a loving heart, where we reveal the love of God to the world. Not the judgment of you're a bad sinner in this moment, but the love of God saying, you want to know something? You're a friend of God. Raising up a church that nurtures, that loves, that gives the example of that love. That's the repentance that God is seeking from us, a repentance that understands that God loves. Not a church that says, God hates you, or God's looking down for reasons to bring judgment upon you. But a church that says, God's love. God's arms are open. They're waiting, they're calling. God's seeking to come to have you know he loves you. And by that nurturing, by that fertilizing, we grow up the church. 
into a body that comes to understand the love of God and pursuing God, not running from God. You know, the message of some sinners are worse than others, that brings about the mindset of hiding, thinking maybe I need to hide from this God. Maybe I need to, uh, I hope he doesn't see what I've done today. Well, we know the foolishness of that. I mean, believe me, I don't want to say I've not done that. (laughs) I don't want you to believe that I've never said, I hope God didn't see that. (laughs) I know the foolishness of that statement, and yet it enters my mind once in a while. But then the next thing that enters my mind is, God will forgive me. Sadly, once in a while, that thought enters my mind before I do something bad. And that really, 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 really rips me. Uh, Because I do know in those moments, I'm abusing the grace of God. Uh, And I can tell you, as you come to know the love of God, as we come to really appreciate it, It's painful when you know you've abused it. But when you come to know the love of God, you can also know that he's looking down and saying, okay, let's go. He's not sitting there and saying, okay, you blew it, I'm done with you. He's saying, you blew it. We can learn from that. Now let's go. Now you can use that when you see someone else. Rather than judging them, you can love them. Because you can remember, I am saved only by grace of God. Not because of my acts that I'm so much more worthy than these other people who are suffering. I'm saved by his love and his grace alone. And then I can nurture the world. I don't beat up on them. I lift them up. And and that's the message of this is who deserves suffering? None of us deserve suffering. But we live in a fallen world and suffering happens. The question is, how do we deal with it? How do we deal with it individually? And how do we deal with it as a church? I, 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 my passage, I mean, I also have um, a reference to a passage in John uh, to show you the mindset of religion versus the mindset of God. In, in, in John 9... Jesus reveals the false belief that illness or disability, and in that case, he's talking about blindness from birth, is tied to some sin of the person or his family. In that passage, uh, the religious leaders come to him because there's a man who's blind from birth, and, and they actually ask Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be blind at birth? Can you imagine asking that of people. Uh, People have a child born with a disability, 
And you say, was it the child's fault or the parents? I mean, and these were religious leaders. I mean, church, we've got to do better. (laughs) We've got to do better than that. And Jesus said to him, neither of them. But through this, the power of God can be revealed. Now, the interesting thing is, many times when Jesus is on the moment, he brings about that miraculous physical healing. So then the world will say, well, then why doesn't he do it always? And for that, I can tell you, I don't have an answer to it, why he doesn't do it always. But I can trust that he knows why. And that's all I can say about that. Because this repentance, this repentance is turning and trusting the God who has revealed he loves. The God who has revealed he has an eternal plan. The God who has promised us an eternal life where there will be no pain and suffering. And so in the moment, individual circumstances of our life, we have to trust that. We can't look for a momentary explanation for what is an eternal issue. I've shared with you many times, and I shared with with a gentleman uh, in the middle of my trial this week, that um, God has made this point clear to me as I've wrestled with him and argued with him over issues. And the the one I've used many times because I think it is so pointed uh, is when a, a young family lost a child due to medical negligence and, and their baby died for no reason. Uh, and, and they were wrestling and they were struggling and I was working with them on, on healing. And, and yet, as I was working with them on healing, I would be in my prayers with God and I would say, God, how could you let this happen? I mean, I was angry. What did that child do? I was asking these questions. Why did, what did that child do? And I know, God, I know. I know you, can, you could have done something. And his response, as I've said it before, his response to me was, do you love that world so much that you think when I take someone out of it, it's punishment? And, and I paused, and I, and, and I, I thought, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, I understand. The big picture. But then I said, but these people are suffering, and this is all we know. And his response was clear. Then come to know more. And I tell you, I was a believer at that point. Not, I mean, I was a believer before that. But that was such a deep meaning to me. It's been, it's been the core of my teachings is coming to know more. That coming to know more is this repentance that Jesus is talking about here. 
It's repent and turn to know who I am. Repent and come to know me. More than that, repent and come to trust me. Even when you don't know the answer to why. Know I'm in control and trust me. Uh, that's what God's calling us for. In this world, he told us, he told us, Jesus, before he left the earth, his three years of ministry, before he left, he reminded us with these comforting words, in this world you will have trouble. <laughs> I mean, that's not what we want to hear, is it? We don't want to hear from our Savior. In this world you will have trouble. And what we want to hear is, I did it. It's all over. Your life's going to be perfect now. I mean, at least that's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> uh, but that's not what he told us. But then he said, but take heart. I've overcome the world. That's what we're talking about here. It's that repentance to come to know, yes, in this world we'll have some suffering. A lot of suffering. And, the, you know, the bad thing is, well, I call it bad because it's my worldly mind. <laughs> uh, some people who are doing really bad stuff don't seem to have any suffering. And don't all of us want to say, well, they ought to suffer. I mean, if, if, if we're taking sides right now, and personally I am, in the invasion of Ukraine, I mean, I personally, all my heart wants me to have Putin suffer something. Thank you. Um, that's in my heart, but I have to remember, and I wrote this, I wrote a long prayer that I shared with Ben, uh, where I'm called to pray for Vladimir Putin. Nothing in me wants to do that. <laughs> Nothing in me wants to pray for the salvation of Vladimir Putin. But God calls me to love my enemies. It doesn't stop me from praying for the salvation or the safety of the Ukrainians. But, but that's easy for my heart to do. What's tough for my heart to do is pray that none of those Russian shoulders invading get killed. You know, we have to remember, God loves all of them. You know, and, and we've got to remember that. We've got to avoid letting our hearts turn to stone uh, because of worldly events. Uh, it's easy to hate our enemy. But God calls, them to, calls us to love them. How do you solve the problem of this where a person is invading another country and killing innocent people and things? How do you solve that? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, is it right to use weapons against them and kill other people? You know, those are worldly decisions, world judgments that, that I'm glad I don't have to make. But the thing I know is God's still in control. And he calls us to love. Now, the reality is, if we could nurture the soil, if we would fertilize the soil, if we would demonstrate the love of God so clearly, 
I think the answer was people would put down their guns. That's my prayer for Putin is how I motivate myself to pray for Vladimir Putin. I I pray for his salvation. I pray that he will repent. I pray that he will come to know the love of God so clearly that he will see what he's doing and that the world will then be amazed that God turned this guy's heart around. You know, that's what I pray for. But sadly, I don't pray with the same faith I ought to in that. You know, I, I, I think of the practical reality. Is there any way? But then I remember that God turned my heart around. So do I think he's so ineffectual that he couldn't turn Vladimir Putin's heart around? And why would I think that? And, and so that's where I, I have to focus. Uh, and, it's, and, and that's what we need to do in this world is we've got to remember what the big picture is uh, and not look at the minutia. And, and, and believe me, this is a tough message when I say the minutia if you're living in Ukraine at the moment. Uh, and so I, I don't mean to be insensitive to that because, uh, believe me, with all my heart, I hope God intervenes and stops that war. Uh, and I know he can, and so I hope and I pray that he does. Uh, and I, but I think the best way is through the heart of Vladimir Putin. Uh, and so I pray that that heart will get changed. Uh, and so, um, but do I think the people in Ukraine deserve suffering more than the people here in the United States? I tell you, no. <laughs> uh, and so we've got to keep that in mind. We've got to have our hearts and our minds aligned together with God's will so that we can come to understand how we really are to relate into this world. I want to wrap up with um, finishing with um, the Apostle Paul when he was writing in Romans chapter 3, reminding us that he says, We have already made the charge that everyone sins that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. And then he refers to many Old Testament passages which say the same thing. But he reminds us then what the love of God does. We cannot rightly read the word of God without understanding the big picture of his plan for eternity. We can't rightly deal with the struggles and the pain of this world if we don't understand the love of God and his plan for eternity. We can't look at a moment and pull theology out of that. Theology meaning our relationship with God. We can't look at a moment of circumstance of suffering and decide How does this prove who God is? We must be good gardeners. That's our job. My job isn't to determine why bad things happen in the world. I can understand they do because we live in a fallen world. But individual, isolated moments, I cannot explain them. But my job is to declare the love of God. 
My job is to declare that in that suffering, in that moment, God loves. And he loves better than I can. I can feel the pain of the people in Ukraine, but I guarantee you God feels it more. I can feel the pain of that couple that lost their child. But I guarantee you, God feels it more. God does not love less than me. And we need to grasp that and carry that into the world and share it, not being judgmental of other people, but loving them. Letting them know that God loves them that much. We don't scare people into heaven. We love them into heaven. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Forgive me when I don't give it as freely as you give it to me. Help us. Help us to grasp how wide, how deep, how high your love is so that we can share that with the world. Help me to remember all of the things you've forgiven of me so I don't fail to forgive others. Help me to forgive them as freely as you've forgiven me. Father, help us to grasp these things. Help us to use them to help you nurture the soil, fertilize the soil, such that people will come to know you, turn to you, and be saved. Father, we thank you for your eternal plan that will draw us all together for eternity with you where there will be no pain and suffering. We thank you for that eternal plan, and we help we ask you to help us grasp that and take hold of that and to act like people who know that, not people who are afraid of these momentary things in this world, but people who live with our eyes toward you and with you in eternity. Help us to live that life, that power that will draw the world to you. Father, we lift this up to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.